Yeah, that's not going to scare us away when people say hallelujah. Okay, just so you know, we're that kind of church. All right. We're those crazy people who will once in a while praise God out loud. We do that here. Okay, so you're not going to scare me. And I'll tell you something. I've said this before, but if I'm preaching and somebody gets blessed in the Lord and it's in the spirit and you shout out and say, praise God, that's like saying sick them to a hound dog on a rabbit when you do that. So I'm just letting you know that's just going to encourage me. And, uh, you know, while I'm talking about it, I've said this to you before. The more you smile, usually the better I preach. And the more you frown, the longer I preach. So it's up to you. It's up to you. It's Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm just saying. Boy, could you imagine a preacher keeping you that long? I won't do that. All right. Because you wouldn't stay. You go. All right. I want us to get into the Word of God together today. And we're going to look into the book of Ephesians. And we're breaking into the fifth chapter in the middle of this chapter, verse 15. And we're looking at just a few verses, 15 through 21. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking, let me tell you right up front, he is speaking to the church, he is speaking to people who profess to have a born-again relationship with God in this passage, okay? He is talking to people who have come to Christ and accepted Him as their Lord and Savior. I want you to know that. Here is what he is saying to the church. And understand, as Paul penned these words, he was under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these come from the heart of God. God. The word of God in the scripture, it all comes from God's heart. All scripture is God breathed. The word of God tells us. So so this is straight up scripture and this is straight up from God to you and I. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you uh, take... Um, the, the very first course in college that you may take in the field of philosophy, you're going to hear about a uh, pretty much the father of philosophy of that uh, discipline. And his last name is Kierkegaard. He is a Danish philosopher. And I will tell you my, what I discovered is that he's often difficult to read. His, his, his thoughts really weave uh, in a lot of directions all at once. He, he was a brilliant man, so a little bit difficult to read. But I will tell you, he wrote a parable that I really, really enjoy. It's a parable about a wild duck who, with his mates, one day was flying into the springtime air northward across Europe, headed back to his summer grounds. And during the flight, this duck came down. They, 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 they came down together into a Danish barnyard because they saw some tame ducks there. And I'm just going to stop right here and tell you that there's a difference between a tame domesticated duck and a wild duck. But he lands here in the barnyard, this Danish barnyard, and he begins to uh, 
kind of communicate with the tame ducks and he sees that they are eating some corn. He begins to enjoy their corn with them. And the other ducks took off. They had a little bit of corn. They took off. He was having such a good time with the corn and such a a wonderful time with the other ducks that he decided he was going to hang on for a while and wait for another flock to fly by and he would join them. And so he did. And his time stretched into an hour, which stretched into a day. And then it stretched into a week. And before he knew it, he had stayed all summer long on the barnyard, eating the fare and enjoying the things that the tame ducks, the domesticated ducks, got. He would wait for the farmer to bring the food out. He would hide and then he would come out and join the tame ducks and he would eat and enjoy. Finally, autumn rolls around. It's an autumn day. It's a beautiful day and he hears the quacking of his wild duck brethren. They're flying south now. And so his heart began to stir at their calls, at their beckoning, at their quacks. And he stirred with excitement and with great enthusiasm. He flaps his wings and he gets into the air and he's rising up only to realize he had a real problem. You see all of his time enjoying the fare of the tame ducks and not Flying like he should got him overweight and out of shape. I don't know if any of us can relate to this at all, but it got him overweight and out of shape. And so he made it to the eaves of the barn and all he could do was fly around the barn and land again because he was just too big and too out of shape. And so his his wild cousins and his companions of before went on. They soared. They took off. They kept going. And he wasn't able to go along with him. And so he decided in his own heart, you know what? It's not so bad here in the barnyard after all. These are pretty nice ducks over here. They're different from me. I'm different from them. But they're pretty good ducks. And I really like the food here. And I'm being, I'm safe. I'm not in any trouble. I think I'll just stay here. And so this wild duck decided that he was going to just enjoy the fares of the barnyard and enjoy the corn and the, and the safety of all of that. And each spring, his wild cousins would come flying over that Danish barnyard and they would beckon to him. They would quack and his heart would stir. And then he would say, no, I'll just stay here. Until one day, either on an autumn or a fall day, when the ducks were flying, the wild ducks were flying over, he gave them no mind at all. And he had changed. What a parable this is to relate for how a follower of Jesus can forget the high ideals and high standards to which God has called us. I need to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We're called the soar. We're called to rise to the heights and to live in a plane that is not like everything else. What a sad commentary when God's people would rather be comfortable in the easy fare of lower living. Instead of being what God had created us to be, instead of rising to the heights. What a sad commentary when we at first feel we hear the beck and call of God to this high standard of living and our hearts well up within us. But we find that it's just too much of an effort and we decide to ignore the call and come back down to the lower living. 
What a sad commentary for Christians who will at one point, and this is where I see so much of the American church today, to be very honest with you, to get to the point where we settle for the barnyard, for the lower places, for the lower style of living. And the voice of God is no longer even sensed. Our hearts aren't even stirred. We're happy in the barnyard. We're happy being comfortable. We're happy being safe. And I need to say this to you, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you weren't made for that. You were made to soar. You were made to rise. You were made to live on a different level than the rest of the world lives. You know what we have in our churches today? We have a lot of domesticated Christians. What's happened to our wild hearts? What's happened to our desire to soar and to go to heights where only God can empower us to rise? What a challenging thought that this is. God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And we settle on earthly purposes instead of heavenly ones. Until one day again, we foolishly pay not the slightest bit of attention to his heeding. And I have to tell you something. The world does not need churches like that. They don't need churches that are just comfortable and settling and just happy to have a little holy huddle. They don't need that. What the world needs is a church on fire. Amen. What the world needs is not Christians who are just going to be tame and sort of let me tell you something. This is this back way back when I was back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a teenager. There was a a a. Um, um, poll that was given and the question was asked to people in the United States what discernible difference do you know between people who proclaim to be Christians and the way other people live and the poll found that there really wasn't that much difference between the way people who say they love Jesus Christ live and the way that the rest of the world is living and I have to tell you that's because we in America love to settle for the lower things and just be comfortable we want God let's be honest we want God to bless us we want God to give us we want God to make our lives easy But we don't want anything to do with the soaring and the risk that comes along with it. As a whole, that's where churches are. And as a whole, that's where Christians are. And I have to tell you, Northampton needs a church that will soar. And Northampton needs Christians who will soar. And who will live to the high standard that God has called us to. And we can do it. We've been in a sermon series that we have called Desire More. And we've been looking at this. And before I move any further, I just want to interrupt myself long enough to just thank uh, Mark Payson. Last week, my wife and I were away at a pastor's and spouse retreat. And Mark ably stood up here and, and proclaimed the word of God. And he didn't charge us a dime. And, no one walked out. and nobody left. <laughs> and he let you out a lot sooner than you're getting out today. I'm just saying, but but thank you, Mark, for being willing to do that. Thank you, church, for letting us uh, have their time. The word of God here, the phrase that I want to center in on is be filled with the spirit. We're learning in this series that it is a healthy thing for a person to desire more. To think to themselves, there's got to be more in my relationship with God than this. There's got to be more in my life, more purpose for me than this. It is a good thing and a healthy thing for us to want more for ourselves. 
in a spiritual sense. To have an appetite to, to have more. More of everything. More purpose. More peace. More joy. More power. More boldness. More wisdom. More of God. We have seen the source in this series. We've talked about the source of the more that we are looking for for Christians is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And this week, that's the phrase that we're locking in on. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now, before I go too much further, I know some of you are getting squirmy because you're thinking, oh, no, here comes a crazy preacher. And next thing you know, snakes are coming out and and he's going to do wild stuff. And I want to put your heart at ease. The Holy Spirit is no one to be fearful of having in your life. Let me tell you, Christian, you want the Holy Spirit in you. You want To be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need to fear Him. He loves us. He is God. As much as God the Father is. As much as God the Son is. The Holy Spirit is our Lord God. We sang under His power and His anointing today. We need Him in this church. And you need Him in your heart today. So let me just begin to explore what it means to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. The short way of putting it is to be filled with God. I have to tell you, I want that. I long for that. And all the more that I'm longing for is found in being filled with Him. So what does this look like? What what are the elements, if you will, of being filled with the the Holy Spirit, of living a Spirit-filled life? There's an element of purity. 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves of everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Aren't you glad today that at the moment a person is born again, every single sin, every single evil deed, every evil thought, that ever occurred in our lives up to that point that we were we came to the Lord to be born again has been forgiven and expunged from God's record. So let me say this to you today. At the moment that you were born again, Christian, at that moment, you became a brand new person. And whatever defined you up to that point no longer defines you. And I say, praise the Lord. I can look into the eyes of a murderer and tell them when they are born again, you're no longer a murderer in the eyes of God. You are a brand new creature. That bears out in the word of God. And I'm so glad for a God who loves us so much that he would do that from our sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says. And that's what the woman who was caught in the very act of committing adultery learned when she was drugged before Jesus Christ as he was teaching in front of a large group of people. She was brought in, and instead of condemnation like everyone else in that room, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. He asked her, where are your accusers? And by that time, he had chased them off by drawing in the dirt. One of my favorite stories. I don't know what he wrote or draw drew that, that day, but when I get to heaven and I have my playback device, I'm going to read it. Maybe he was writing girlfriends' names down. I don't know. But all those guys who wanted to stone this poor woman because it was the law of Moses and was condemning this woman, they weren't anything like Jesus. At that very moment, what did Jesus say? I don't condemn you. 
I don't define you, lady, like that. In my eyes, you're not an adulterer. But he did give her a caveat, and you know what it was. Leave your life of sin. Stop doing what you were doing. Don't return to this. And that is the high standard that the Lord God calls us to. We can soar. We don't have to go back to that base living anymore. We don't have to be what we used to be. When God sets us free, we are free indeed. We don't have to be that anymore. So God's expectation for every believer, everyone who has ever come to him and has been born again, is that we leave our lives of sin behind and we follow him. We obey him. His standard for every single one of us is holiness. That's what it is. He wants us to soar. He designed us, his children, to live a life as different from non-believers as a wild duck lives a life that's different from a tame duck. Amen? Let them be in the barnyard. Let's soar. The problem is there's not enough Christians soaring for the glory of God. We're back down in the barnyard sinning and failing God. And he wouldn't have that. That's not his standard. His expectation for his children is that we are pure. There's an element of purity in being filled with the Holy Spirit. That we don't pollute ourselves with filth anymore. And here's the good news. He will give us the wherewithal if we have the Spirit of God in us. He will give us the wherewithal not to sin. We'll have to choose to sin if we want to sin. You don't have to deliberately sin against God. You're not a slave to sin when Jesus sets you free. Hallelujah. You're not bound by sin anymore when you have Christ and when the Holy Spirit enters into you and fills you. And I'll talk to you a little more about that. When you are filled with the Spirit, you have the enabling of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Let me tell you what happens. When the Holy Spirit fills you, when you are filled with him, you think different thoughts than you used to think. And your appetites change. Your heart begins to be transformed and your mind begins to be renewed because the Holy Spirit lives in there now. And now the things that didn't matter that much to you, the things that are high, the things of God, they start to matter a lot. And the things that you used to just love and have such an appetite for and think you could never get away from seem to dim because of the glory that is in having a relationship with a God who fills you up. Oh, I love the element of purity. I'm glad that God doesn't leave me the mess that I am. Because you don't want a pastor who lives just in the flesh. Amen. What pastor do you want? You want a pure pastor, don't you? That's what I want. I want a shepherd leading me who has a heart for God, that has a mind for Christ, who loves the Lord. And so the purity that he gives us is a wonderful thing. Romans 12, 2 simply tells believers that we don't need to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by what the Holy Spirit does. He, He gives us a renewing in our mind. I haven't just shared a new revelation, though, with you, have I? You know this. You know God's standard for a Christian is holiness. You understand that. You know he expects us to leave our sins when we come to him and just live for him. Not to dabble in it, not to gradually get away. Let me ask you a question. I, well, I'll put it this way. I have a feeling that if I were to say, I'd like to see a show of hands, and please don't put your hand up. I'd like to see a show of hands for everyone in this room who believes that God has the power to instantaneously heal a sick body, no matter what it is. He could, he could rebuke cancer, and the cancer goes away. Amen? He has Amen. that power, right? That's the power of God. 
He did it in the scriptures. Jesus did it all of his ministry. He healed people instantaneously. He touched blind eyes and they saw again. He touched deaf ears and they heard again. Jesus even could raise the dead. Okay? We're serving a powerful God. How is it then that some of us don't believe that God can't instantaneously change our hearts? If, If God is able to heal bodies, let me tell you, he is able to put his spirit in you. He's able to change you and make you brand new in him. There's this element of purity. And folks, I am going to challenge you to live a holy life. That's what he wants. And let me ask a question. Let me borrow one from Dr. Phil. How is that working out for you? (laughs) No, seriously. How is it working in your life? I can tell you it's not working in you out. It's not working out too well for you if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Living a pure life does not happen for even believers unless they heed these words and are filled with God. That's something that has to happen for all of us. The Holy Spirit provides the strength to overcome temptation. It's the element of purity in being filled with the Holy Spirit. He works in us, and I love this promise, to will the will of the Father. We start wanting the things that the Father wants. He begins to make us sensitive to His leading because there's an element of purity in us. The Holy Spirit lives us. He turns our passion towards pleasing God and living a holy life. And I love this. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit, and I'm not trying to impress you like I'm some great uh, Greek scholar. But I love this word. I learned this one. It's parakletos. And all it means is not parakeet. Parakletos. All it means is one who comes alongside. Sort of like a counselor comes alongside. The best word picture I know to describe. I may have given you this story before. I'll make it quick. It is about the time that my family, my brother, my sister and I went fishing for the very first time in our lives. We had an uncle who had grown up in Arkansas and he had lived by the river there in Arkansas and all of his life he fished and he loved to fish. And I was probably six or seven at this point. My brother a year older than me, my sister a year younger and had two other sisters who were way too young to go. But my uncle had come to visit us and he said to another uncle who had a pickup truck, hey, why don't we take these kids fishing? My dad agreed that that would be a good thing. And back in those days, when, you know, there were only dirt roads. They used uh, pickup trucks. You Kids could get in the back of a pickup truck and ride. I loved those days. And so so that's what he said. He says, let's we'll pick you kids up. We'll we'll bring all the fishing gear and we'll you'll ride in the back of the truck. It'll be a fun thing. And we rode all the way from Goldsboro, Maryland, to Greensboro, Maryland, to the Chop Tank River. And we got out of there. And as we're traveling down the road, this is the relationship that my brother and I had growing up the whole time. We always were competitors. He was always bigger, stronger than I was. I was faster. And so uh, we, w- we would always go at each other, always goading one another. So on the way there, I looked at him. and I said, just so you know, I'm going to catch more fish than you. I had no idea how to catch fish. But I told him, I'm going to get more fish and I'm going to get the biggest fish. And he's saying, yeah, right, I'm going to get them. And so we argued all the way there. My sister sat there saying, these two guys are idiots. So we get there, and my uncle shows us, and, and it's the old hook line uh, uh, and the bobber thing, and, the, and, the, and you hook a worm on it. It's that easy kind of fishing. And so um, 
I don't know if you notice this about me, but I'm a little hyper. And so, so being a little hyper and very, very ADD, you can imagine how I fish. I'd put, it barely stayed in the water. It, it, it would hit the water. Oh, wait, wait. Is there anything? Is the worm still there? And I, I just kept doing that, you know. And I still don't to this day know how this happened. But I was the first one to get a fish. Somehow I left it in there long enough. Maybe I got this. Oh, squirrel. Maybe that's what happened to me. Uh, I don't know. But, but, but the bobber went down. And, and, and I fought this huge fish in, man. It was gigantic. I got it in somehow. And I don't know. It was maybe that big. It was just, oh, that big. Uh, so it wasn't a big, but, but it was the first fish. And I was puffing my little chest out. I was so proud of myself. I said to Alex, to my brother Alex, see, I told you. And he just looked at me and uh, basically in his mind said, I'm going to kill him when I get a chance. I'm going to just hurt him. Maybe I can drown him or something like that. So so we fished for a while and I maybe had caught another one or two. He caught a small one like me. And we're there fishing. And suddenly uh, uh, my brother is standing there on the bank of the river. He's fishing. And suddenly his pole just bent over just double. He is holding on to this thing with all of his might. Now, here's what you need to know about my brother Alex. To this day, this is true of him. He is the personification of macho. Okay? He was the kid that when dad would would beat him for doing something bad, he wouldn't cry because he's too macho. All right? He was a tough kid. He always was like that. And so let me tell you what was happening. It was hysterical. What he had on the end of his line was so big and so strong, he was pulling my brother who was skiing holding on this thing, skiing down the muddy riverbank. He was on his way into the water, and I promise you, he would have held on to it until he was underwater completely because that was my brother. My uncle saw what was going on, and he's well over six feet, about the size of Pat. He comes running up behind my brother, and he wrapped one arm around him to his waist to steady him, to keep him from sliding into the bank, and he reached his other arm around my brother, and he put his hand on my brother's crank hand. And together, he empowered my brother to bring that big, huge snapping turtle <laughs> that my brother had foul hooked uh, into shore. It was pretty funny because when it came to shore, this is so my brother, he just charged this turtle. And my uncle had to grab him because the turtle would have ate him or hurt him anyway. My uncle, no, you'll come back with no hand. You know, he says, we're just letting this thing go. It was furious. It was snapping. And so he just cut, used the knife and let it loose. Okay. But that picture is a picture of what the Holy Spirit does for the believer. When we can't. He does. He wraps his loving arms around us and he gives us power that we don't normally have. And he enables us to overcome temptation. He enables us to stand stable. He enables us to do what we physically and emotionally do not have the character to do. You can live a holy life if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You can soar. The second element that I want to talk to you today about then is the element of power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the most amazing things to me about being filled with the Holy Spirit is the way that Jesus allows his followers to experience his supernatural power. Sometimes. The Lord literally works through ordinary people to do miraculous things. It, it happens sometimes. 
Sometimes he mightily stirs hearts and we get a sense of his presence and then consequently his power. I've had a few occasions when I sensed and knew that the power of God was coming into me and out to me to another person. And I knew the moment when they were healed. Now, understand, I'm not going to stand here and tell you I have the gift of healing. I, if I did, I would be in the hospital walking down those hallways and healing people, especially the sickest people. But I have had the honor of have the, having the Lord touch somebody through me. And I knew the moment when it happened. I'm not going to tell you all of the stories, but I tell you about the first time I knew it happened. And I had been filled with God's spirit. There was a young, there was a family came in. It was a singing group that came to our church. And there was a young man there, age 15. And they were going through their concert. And in the middle of the concert, the mother of the group said, can we, can I just share a burden that our family has today with you? And she simply said, our son named his, named the boy, has a tumor in the middle of his chest. And it's the size of his fist. And it pushes his chest out. And Tuesday, he is going in for surgery to have this tumor removed. And we're scared. And church, would you please pray? And I will tell you that our pastor had wisdom and said, can we just take a moment to, to do what the word of God says, anoint him with oil and pray for him and believe that God will heal him. And so we came forward. The young man was sitting there in a chair. And I had my hand upon him and I began to pray. And I'm not saying it was me, but I, I know what happened as I was participating. I sensed the power of God. It's unmistakable. When God fills a room and I've had the privilege of being in a room where the spirit of God has come so powerfully. The only thing I had left to do was fall on my face before him. And that day the spirit of God came in and I sensed him in me and in others. I knew the moment he healed that boy. And I just knew it happened. I knew it. And I said to the boy quietly, the Lord healed you. I don't do that. That's not my typical MO, but I knew it. And he went to his surgeon surgery. And this was back in a while when I was a kid. <clears throat> he went to a surgeon. They opened him up and they found a hole the size of his fist. No tumor. I'm telling you, God works that way through spirit-filled believers. And God sometimes even does miracles like that. It's the element of power. It's unmistakable when God's power is working in you, working around you. You become more aware when you're filled with the Holy Spirit when God's power is present. You just do. And supernatural things happen. Church, Jesus' words, and they are the words of Jesus, in Acts 1.8 came to fruition. His disciples, these ordinary guys who not long ago were fighting with one another about who is the greatest, were suddenly filled by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. A mighty thing happened to them. And these guys who were a lot of trouble to Jesus suddenly became the most powerful preachers who ever walked the face of this earth. And they won people to Christ. Why? Because they were filled with God's power, God's Spirit in them. And because of what the Lord did in them, Thousands, countless people came to Christ. They performed miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God transformed so many lives that you and I are here today because of it. 
Then again in Acts chapter 4, when they were faced with a threat, they had a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them again. And powerful things happened and the Lord's power flowed. And they were able to do mighty things for the glory of God. You know what they were doing? They were soaring. They were living to God's high standard of holiness and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul Dawson of Pendleton, Oregon, Oregon, said the following. He actually wrote it. So let me read this little short excerpt. While visiting the Grand Coulee Dam, my family and I were surprised to see that the visitor center was dark. It was a sunny day, so we thought that maybe the center had tinted windows. But as we got closer, we realized there were no lights on in it. We went in and we saw that none of the displays were working and suddenly it became clear. There was no power to the center. Due to a technical difficulty of some kind, the visitor center that sat only hundreds of feet from a hydroelectric dam had no power. You can draw the analogy. I don't want to just be close to the Holy Spirit and all that power. I want him to fill me. And when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, there's the element of power. And we don't need to be afraid of that. It can manifest itself itself in many, many ways. But I want the power to live for the Lord. Now, I will tell you that an important word of caution is in order here. We must seek God, not his power. People sometimes with impure motives hunger for the power of God for their own purposes and their own glory. And some have stumbled here, stumbled here. They're seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit over the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. And when that happens, then then we we find ourselves worshiping the power of God and not worshiping God himself. And God's not glorified in that. The power of God gives uh, that he gives to us is for his purposes and his glory alone, not yours, not mine. And if you are filled with God's power and he does something supernatural in and through you, it, it does not make you spiritually superior to anyone. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, You're not superior to somebody who isn't. And we need to get that in our minds. I can tell you that whenever God has seen fit to do something supernatural, whether it is in my preaching, and I will tell you, if you just read my sermons, you would... (gasps) If there's any power in my words when I preach, that's the Holy Spirit. And if God sees fit to ever use me to, to inspire or move or, or stir hearts, if that happens, I will tell you I'm humbled by it. I'm not puffing my chest out because I know who I am without him. And I want to say it to you again, church. You don't want this pastor in the flesh. You want a pastor who preaches in the spirit. You don't want him to preach with his own wisdom. When you are calling me up and you have a problem that that seems insurmountable to to you. When you talk to me, what you want is a pastor who has the Holy Spirit in him and has the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. When I got a call earlier this year from a broken hearted mother who found her daughter murdered. What do you say to somebody like that? I needed the power of the Holy Spirit to even know what to say. You want a pastor who is filled with the spirit. You don't want somebody relying on his own wisdom or charisma or talent. That's not going to make a hill of difference in this community. 
I've never saved one soul in my life and I never will. Only Jesus does that. And I need his power in me if I am to preach any kind of effective way or minister in any way. That's the pastor you're looking for. You want a spirit-filled pastor. There is an element of consecration. I'm going to make this very quick. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The spirit-filled life is launched by an act of consecration. It starts when we understand, and, and what the scripture here told us is, is to offer our bodies. Translation, everything you are. Offer all of your dreams, all of your aspirations. Your whole entire being, all of the resources you have. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the way that happens is when you empty yourself of you. And you say, oh God, I love you and I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost so I can live for your purposes. I'm tired of being on the low living scale. I want to soar for your glory. I want you to take my life and do with it whatever you want, and you offer yourself to God. And I will tell you something, church. We need more Christians who are willing to do that, who throw caution to the wind. Three weeks ago, we had we were privileged to have in our congregation a young lady who told her story of when she just came to a decision that her life belonged to the Lord and the Lord only, and she threw all of her plans away. And she sold all that she had. And in pursuing God's call for her life, she landed in Ecuador, learned the Ecuadorian or the Spanish language, learned the Ecuadorian culture. And she ministered there as a missionary strictly on faith. All by herself, she went out with no companion and was joined up in a team of people she did not know because she trusted the Lord with her life. That girl went out there filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord has used her in mighty ways. And we had the privilege of hearing what happens when somebody will do that. That's who the world needs. That's the kind of Christians that we ought to aspire to be. These are the people that God anoints. These are the people who the Spirit will fill. These are the people who are channels of God's power. And I want to make an appeal to anyone in the sound of my voice, young or old, who senses any kind of call of God. You hear that beckoning call from way up high? It's the Lord. And he's saying, I want to fill you with my presence. I want to, I want to pour my spirit into you. And I want to give you power to overcome your sin. I want to give you power to do things that you cannot do in your own capacity. I finish with this. When I yielded my life to the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the things that God has done for me repeatedly is in, increased my capacity to love people. And, and I can tell you, by nature, just like every other human being, I'm selfish and I love me more than I love anybody else. By human nature, that's who I am. But because of the Holy Spirit... I've learned to look at people a little more like Jesus sees them. And I love people. And I know why. It isn't because I'm a good guy. It's because the Holy Spirit is a good God. And he has done something in my heart for people. I love them. I love people. 
and I do because God the Spirit has done that. Don't think that God can't change you. Don't think he doesn't have that kind of ability. Yield to him and see what he does for you. Just see. So here's what I'm going to do. Music is going to begin playing. And last night we had a wonderful season of prayer together and and the Holy Spirit was so faithful among us. And there were several who came forward and they simply said to the Lord, I love you. I belong to you. I want you to fill me. Can I just say this to you as you're thinking about this? I'm glad that Acts chapter 4 is in the Bible. Because Pentecost was the most powerful, that, time, that, that meeting of God when the Holy Spirit came on, onto 120 people in an upper room. He came in such a powerful way, it was visible and it could be heard and felt. A wind sound blew while they were praying. Suddenly it sounded like a rushing wind. And then a physical sign God gave them was like fire that descended on every one of them. They called it tongues of fire, but it's like a fire that came down upon everyone in that room. And then the Bible says God poured his spirit on them and in them. And they were transformed. Just two chapters later, they're down on their faces and they're afraid because they had been threatened. The church had been threatened and, and, and people didn't like the church because they belonged to Jesus. And, and they were told, we're going to wipe you out. You saw what we did to Jesus. We're going to do it to you. And what they did, I love what they did. They said, God, we're afraid. We're afraid for our lives. But give us boldness and don't let us shrink back. Don't let us be intimidated. Give us boldness, oh God. And the Bible says, while they prayed, literally, the foundations of the room they were in began to shake. And the Holy Spirit filled them again. Here's what happens to people. You may look back on your life and say, I remember a moment when I yielded to the Holy Spirit and he filled me. Here's what happens. I've done that too. We leak. We can be filled, but we're people and we leak. And we need to be filled again. You know the original language to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know what it really says? Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's every day that I need the Holy Spirit to fill me afresh and anew. And I'm not afraid to ask God for that. In fact, it's my life's blood. I should quit pastoring if I don't have the Holy Spirit filling me. I just need to hang up my shingle. It's too big. It's too hard. I'm not smart enough and I don't have enough talent. Nobody does. But you can soar. You can get your wings. And you can live to the high purposes of God. If you're willing to say, God, I'm willing to trade my life in for a spirit-filled life. I want to be filled with you today.